We are going to start today with a conversation with Dafina Doncheva, partner at USVP of a long-term uh, venture firm in Silicon Valley. USVP has been around for a very long time. Dafina will tell us more about it. Welcome, Dafina. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to uh, join you guys and be part of the event today. So tell us a bit about yourself as well as USVP and uh, where uh, where is the investment focus today? I know USVP has a long history. You've been yes. in all different corners of the uh, technology right. So tell us where you That's are today. Right. So um, currently we're investing in early stage software and healthcare, and that has been focused for us pretty much for the entire life of the firm. And you're right, we are one of the first firms in the Valley. Uh, the firm is 37 years old, and it has had 11 funds. We're uh, currently investing out of Fund 11. Uh, there, has been, uh, there have been three generations of investors and a lot of institutional knowledge built over the years. Uh, something that I feel particularly proud of and grateful for as um, as someone who has been on the platform for five years. Um, and where did you um, come from, Daphina? A little bit about your personal background. Sure. Um, so originally I'm from Bulgaria. That's the accent you're probably detecting. Yeah. I moved here in the United States uh, in 98, exactly 20 years ago. Uh, I went to college here. Uh, it was the reason for the move. I studied computer science and applied math. Ended up working as a developer for a few years on um, yeah, Microsoft on security projects, and um, joined business school Stanford um, in 2006. And it was after business school that, somewhat by accident, I ended up in venture capital. I was recruited to Venrock by the managing partner at the time. Uh, his name is Ray Rothrock. He mm -hmm. um, uh, he 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 recruited me into their uh, two-year-long program for principals, uh, and uh, his request uh, the, uh, was to um, help him uh, with his security portfolio. Uh, he was uh, investing in security over 20 years. He had a portfolio of about eight to ten companies of various stages, and um, uh, he recruited me in order to uh, assist develop that portfolio, also help with uh, new investments, uh, due diligence on the technical side. Uh, and anything else that I could uh, be uh, of help with. And he promised to teach me anything he could about venture, uh, which I thought was a great um, deal for me. So right out of business school, I joined Venrock. Uh, and I stayed there for a couple of years. Um, I got very lucky. I made a few investments there that, that sort of put me on the radar, I would say, uh, of other venture firms. So I got recruited out of Venrock. I spent a, a year and a half in a seed stage funds. So I learned a lot about the seed stage market. And um, over the last five and a half years almost, I have been here at USVP, which in some ways is similar to Venrock. Um, similar to Venrock, it's a firm with long history in the Valley, with um, uh, many years of experience uh, and uh, uh, early stage investing in software as well as uh, some healthcare investments. So um, what is the current 11th USVP fund? Um, what is the yeah. size and um, what check sizes are you writing? Sure, sure. So the fund, the fund is um, 
300 million, uh, about 70%, 75% of that uh, money goes towards software investments. And for yeah. us, that is the enterprise SaaS application. Um, for us, that's also security, uh, cybersecurity investments, and some consumer investments. And the remaining 25% or so of the capital goes for healthcare and healthcare IT investments. We're very selective um, uh, as we make investments in uh, a few device, medical device companies, uh, maybe one or two biotech when we uh, find uh, very compelling opportunities. And uh, as I mentioned, the IT investments that um, kind of redefine the healthcare sector. Our check sizes are traditional Series A. We write anywhere between five to um, seven million dollar checks. We lead financing, traditional Series A financings, which today are defined as uh, financings between five to almost ten million dollar round, total round. We always take a board seat. Uh, we always lead. Uh, we try to uh, buy uh, to secure mostly um, somewhere around close to 20% ownership. And um, uh, we stay with uh, the investment with the company uh, until exit. We uh, set aside reserves so that we continue to be supportive partners. And for us, it's very important to be um, partners to the management team, not just, uh, uh, not just investors, but also business partners. Uh, that's something we pride ourselves in. in. So uh, one small, um, you know, detailed question. Uh, when you sure. So you know, the, one of the issues of the current uh, venture capital ecosystem is that um, Series A financings have become larger, right? So there's a class of VCs that have developed who are doing the smaller Series A checks, the two million, three yeah. million. Uh, series A checks, and then the, you are doing the traditional venture capital, and you want, want to put in five to ten million. Now, if an entrepreneur wants just five million Series A, would you do that round fully yes. as a solo investor? Yes, I would love that. I would love that. I I think uh, it's everyone let's do for the founder. I uh, it's um, I I think capital tends to, or appropriate amount of capital, let me put it that way, having the appropriate amount of capital keeps uh, everyone disciplined, uh, makes us um, more focused on achieving milestones that will set the company up for success for the next round, and ultimately also um, is less diluted for the founder, which I think is important um, as we think about keeping everybody motivated and uh, building um, a company for the long run. So yeah, we will definitely lead a, a Series A financing that is uh, on the smaller side. We've led a Series A financing as small as uh, four million. Uh, okay. We think, you know, these days that you're right. These days things have changed quite a bit. And so what used to be a traditional Series A, which was a three to five million dollar financing, now kind of edges towards a large seed, right? Uh, and the seed market itself got so disrupted that you have the pre-seed. Which used to be the traditional seed, now it's called free seed, the few hundred thousand dollar financing. Now traditional seed is two to three million dollar rounds, and uh, what we call uh, early stage uh, financing is now has been pushed up to your point to be you know five to eight million dollar um, uh, uh, Series A financing. So um, let's talk a little bit. I'm going to go into a few different um, you know again fund related details, but. You have a mm -hmm. deep 
experience in cybersecurity. Ray uh, in, uh, recruited you in Vendrock for your cybersecurity expertise. Right. You have continued to invest in cybersecurity for many years now. Can That's you right. give us I started overview? in cybersecurity before it was uh, popular, before uh, yeah. so many other investors. Uh, but to be fair, cybersecurity it. has been probably one of the table stakes of venture capital for its entire history. Yeah. Companies have continued to invest in cybersecurity throughout the history of venture capital in the last 30 years. So um, it, it is one of the most invested categories of venture capital, which is where I'm going with this question, how do you, it's so crowded. This market is so incredibly crowded. How do you, what is your, um, you know, methodology or uh, map in your head on how you invest, how you think about cybersecurity investment. And I know it's a convoluted question. You can no, take no, as no, much like time it. as you need. I like it. No, I think it's an important question and something we think about a lot here. So uh, several, um, there are several uh, answers maybe to your question, uh, different angles. So number one, uh, you're right, it is a crowded space. and. Uh, uh, one thing that I have noticed over the years as I've made security investments is that uh, nuances matter a lot. Uh, on the outside, every security company uh, has the same marketing message. They all protect the data or the user um, or the enterprise assets so, or the network. Uh, so there's like three, uh, strictly speaking, three or four different marketing messages. But then, as you pointed out, there's thousands of companies. So um, nuances in this industry matter a lot. Different different ways of approaching the problem and solving it. That's where I would say the the art of investing in securities, in being technical and understanding the the the, the right approach, uh, the, the the differentiated approach to um, solving the problem. So having technical background has really helped me. Um, having stayed close to the space for many years uh, also helps in assessing opportunities and finding what's truly differentiated out there. Uh, it's a highly fragmented market. There are many, many uh, point solutions, many companies that solve a small part of the problem and do it really well. But, um, and while that's interesting, it doesn't necessarily lead to companies that can grow to be billion-dollar opportunities. And that is okay. It's just that we as investors tend to look for companies that can grow uh, to be beyond 500 million, a, a, a billion-dollar perhaps uh, market cap opportunities. So uh, it starts there with understanding the landscape uh, and the holes that create uh, uh, opportunities for new players to come in and redefine the space. We are very selective. Um, I think what helps us here is USVP has been investing in cybersecurity for 20 years. Our track record just in the last 15 years is 7.7x on returns in security. So I like to believe we uh, know how to pick the winners. We almost have, I don't think we have ever had a single loss in security. Uh, not one of our companies has been a write-off. Uh, not that um, uh, losses uh, uh, are always avoidable. Uh, in fact, every state is defined also by losses. <laughs> But in security for us, uh, it has been this 20-year uh, lucky streak. And I think um, being associated with success it really helps with the uh, deal flow. Uh, we were the very first investors in Checkpoint, which to this day is the largest yep. security, one of the largest security companies in the world. 
Um, yeah. We were investors in Imperva, which is another public company. Uh, investors in Trustier, we were the only investors in Trustier. Speaking of a company that would lead only a Series A, they raised $5 million from USVP and never raised again. They sold for $650 million to IBM. So we, um, through, by making investments, we've stayed close to the entrepreneurial community there, gotten to know the experts in the space. And that really helps us evaluate opportunities, stay close to the market, and understand the trends there, which I think is critical to making good investments that drive outside returns for our institutional uh, investors. So one thing that we're hearing, so we have this, um, I don't know if you've seen it, on our blog we have a Thought Leaders in Cybersecurity series, and actually Ray has been on it with his, he's running a company these days, no longer a venture capitalist, yes. right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so in that series, one of the questions that comes up a lot uh, is, you know, if you put yourself in the uh, shoes of a CISO, right, Chief Information Security Officer, yes. you have to make decisions about what vendors to work with, and there are hundreds of vendors coming with hundreds of point solutions, and it's, it's really yep. a complicated job. And when you turn that That's situation right. around, one of the, let's say, your portfolio companies or our portfolio companies that's working in security, um, it's very difficult to get these meetings, get, get actually bought yes. as a solution. How, how, are you, how are your companies dealing with this, and what are you advising your companies to do? Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's a very good uh, point, and that goes back to me saying that there are thousands of companies that have similar marketing messages on the outside they all more or less look the same. Um, so it's very important to think about the differentiation. It's important for me as an investor to think about it as I select companies to deploy capital in. But it's also very important for the founders to uh, think about what truly uh, uh, differentiates and makes their product stand out among others. Um, I think it really starts with the technology, with the understanding the problem space. I've been lucky to um, be part of security companies where uh, while sales cycles have been long, uh, differentiation has not been an issue. Uh, but I think that's, uh, uh, again, it's really important to where, where you focus your, your energy as a, as a founder and, and what you select as a problem space to solve. Uh, I recently, just very recently, uh, invested in a company in the anti-fraud and abuse space and, um, you know, I've never seen um, the, this amount of traction for a security company. They'll grow from zero to, you know, four million in one year, which usually takes about two and a half to three wow. years for a security That's company huge to do. Uh, exactly. Security, usually the way it grows is companies do about, uh, successful companies so book about a million in year one, two million in year two, four yeah. million in year three. And this doubling is what defines their success. The reason why this initial ramp takes a little bit longer is because sales cycles are long. They're usually, you know, yeah. six to nine months, but the deal yeah. sizes are big. So this company that I'm talking about, uh, they're, they're going after the anti-fraud space, and that, that is such a prevalent problem. They're, well, specifically what they do is they try to recognize humans from bots. And um, in doing so, they prevent uh, fake account creation, which uh, we all have heard about. Uh, as mm -hmm. an issue uh, uh, with social media, 
but also with banks, uh, with the retail sector, they're trying to prevent account takeover. Uh, really, at the core of their technology, they're trying to uh, be the best at identifying a human from a machine, uh, which is very, very important for businesses that run online where um, the, the, inter the interaction is anonymous in, uh, in many ways, and you don't know who is on the other side of the, of the computer. Uh, so, like I said, you know, in, in, with that company, they're going after a problem that's very well understood by the customer. That is a, a real uh, and critical pain point that uh, they, uh, there's budget for uh, to solve and that uh, is top of mind. So my recommendation for entrepreneurs, the, the entrepreneur thinking about starting a security company is understand very well um, the priority of the problem that you're trying to solve relative to the customer. Uh, as you pointed out, CISOs have like a hundred, you know, a hundred things to, to think about, but usually they focus on the top three. That's where the budget goes, that's where the time, the resources go after. So if you're solving a must-have, if you're solving a top three problem, then you probably will be fine. You will find the budget, you will uh, get the attention, and ultimately, uh, there will be market for the solution. The issue go, the, the issues are um, that, that founders sometimes run into is when they think of something as an important problem to solve, but um, the customer has put it really down on the priority stack, and uh, um, they either don't have budget for or um, don't, uh, um, you know, don't think about it day in and day out. The other issue that sometimes happens, and I think we as investors need to be very careful about, is sometimes entrepreneurs, you know, they're very smart. They are ahead of the market. Entrepreneurs would think of a problem which will truly be a problem, but only maybe two years from now. And so, getting the attention and getting getting uh, people to listen to describe an issue which they are not currently experiencing, but will in the future, can be a real challenge. And that, for those founders, my advice is: um, you need to wait for the market. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to create market. But if you're very clever about how you manage your capital, how you manage the company's burn rate. You can wait that out and uh, slowly and gradually engage with the market and the, the early adopters who think about these issues. So that's a long answer to your question, but uh, yeah, no, there's think, a different uh, to think about it. We are very much on the same page. That's uh, roughly what we talk about in all our deals as well. And, and uh, you know, we see security, lots of security all the time. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's I would talk love, a little I would bit. love to uh, see some of those companies. It's, a, it's yeah, uh, okay. not only my job, but it's, it's a hobby. I love it. I love security yeah. and I love um, uh, thinking about new ways of solving uh, existing and growing problems in the cyberspace. So, um, very good. And let's build on that and understand your geographical preferences. Are you investing only in Silicon Valley or are you investing more broadly? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. So uh, interestingly, when it comes to cybersecurity, we like Israel a lot, and it's an area that we have been investing in also for 20 years. And it started with Checkpoint, which is where uh, the company's yeah. headquarters are, and where, where and there the company... are lots of great security companies in Israel. That's yeah. right, exactly, exactly. They have the, the they have a lot of the um, training required to understand and build a problem and build a solution. So we invest in uh, Israel. Uh, most of our investments are in the United States. Uh, the one exception, as I mentioned, is Israel. Within the United States, uh, we have made investments, obviously, in the Valley, but we've made invest investments also in L.A. Uh, we've made investments in New York and um, Atlanta, uh, Utah, 
So we, um, we, we've been That's sort of all over the place. In fact, I'll tell you one thing. I more and more like companies out of the valley. I think that uh, they have uh, a competitive advantage, believe it or not, in some ways, um, yeah. especially companies that have business presence in the valley but R&D outside of the valley. The Silicon Valley has become very competitive when it comes to resources. Talent. And companies yeah. can outsource their development and engineering somewhere, somewhere else where uh, talent is slightly less expensive, perhaps more loyal because there isn't, uh, there isn't so much competition for employees, I think can be a true competitive advantage for advantage. the business. Yes. The, com I agree. the company I was talking about earlier, the, the company, the, the anti-fraud and abuse company, started in Australia. Uh, mm -hmm. We waited. Uh, we waited until the company uh, flipped the business entity to a U.S. entity, but their entire R&D team is still in Brisbane, Australia, and I think that's great. They raised um, uh, 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 five, six million dollars, and uh, it's going to last them a long time because uh, uh, development resources in Brisbane, Australia, are about 60% of the cost of development resources right. here, and, I, and, and, and development resources there are, are very, very good. So I think um, having R&D outside of the Bay Area, I see as um, uh, beneficial, almost uh, preferable, uh, preferred, and uh, I, I, uh, I like to uh, find companies uh, like the, with that kind of setup to invest in. But uh, yeah, I in general also find companies outside of the Bay Area to be very compelling, and uh, there's something really cool about being uh, outside of the noise. You know, everybody talks about the benefits of being in the Valley, and there are many of them, of course. But there's also a benefit to being outside, which is you can you can you can focus on your business, avoid the noise, avoid, avoid the hype, uh, perhaps even stay away from the competition, and just really concentrate on what's most important, which is building a product and delighting the customer. I guess. Yeah, and um, so obviously, you know, our accelerator is global, so we do see global deals and and. Uh, and, and it's, we're always interested in, in investors who are willing to take that as an advantage, as a competitive advantage, and, and all the things that you talked about are very much yeah. in sync with our uh, philosophy and, and modus operandi. You know, I, uh, I advise companies um, in Europe. Uh, I am Bulgarian, as I mentioned, so I go there once a year to Bulgaria to speak to mm -hmm. them, at least once a year, to speak to the entrepreneurial community there. And... Um, as a result, I've gotten in touch with uh, many other entrepreneurs within Eastern Europe, and uh, my advice to them always is um, that many, not, not all, but many, uh, the majority of the venture firms in the Valley will consider investing in a, in, in a company started abroad as long as the executive team Business or at least the founder moves, moves to the U.S. Um, uh, R&D can be kept uh, abroad, but uh, moving uh, moving the founder to um, and some of the business business side of the company to uh, the United States really de-risks the opportunity, uh, at least in the mind of the investor, um, and and uh, makes the just more attractive. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more actually from Europe these days. We have a we have some interesting partnerships underway um, in Europe, so you'll hear about that in, in due course. Now, um, the other question I have about your, uh, the other aspect of your investment that you talked about, healthcare IT being a focus, can you elaborate on that a bit? We do have a lot of healthcare IT activity as well these days. 
Yeah, you know, it, it isn't my uh, necessarily area of focus. I help with uh, with uh, with that um, with companies in that space. Uh, uh, two of my other partners focus on healthcare and healthcare IT, but I'm happy to talk a little bit about it. What we look for in healthcare IT companies uh, are, the way we think about them is uh, IT companies that just happen to solve business problems usually within the healthcare space. At least mm -hmm. those are the companies that I personally would get involved with. Um, I think of them as vertical staff. Now, that being said, my partners also would look at healthcare IT companies as companies like um, digital diagnostics, for example. We have a company called HeartFlow, which uh, it's an incredibly exciting company. It, um, uh, it has uh, developed a novel way of diagnosing um, uh, coronary heart disease, which today is done in a very invasive way. It, it, it's done um, uh, 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 through a hospital visit. Usually the patient is um, uh, put through a full anesthesia and uh, um, a needle is uh, uh, um, kind of goes through the artery all the way to the heart to to, to uh, evaluate the the health of the of the organ. This company takes a CT scan uh, of the heart and mm -hmm. sends it to the cloud, uh, where it's being analyzed by just algorithms. Yeah. Uh, and within an hour, the patient gets to know and the doctor uh, what uh, the um, what the state is. And usually, it is. Uh, 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 more effective, we have discovered, than, than the invasive in-hospital procedure. So HeartFlow mm -hmm. is an incredibly exciting company because this is a multi-billion dollar market, not just in the U.S., but abroad sure. as well. And it ultimately um, really improves uh, uh, lives of, uh, of patients uh, by um, uh, reducing the need for about 50%, by the way, about 50% of these procedures today are unnecessary. But because, they're fa because coronary heart disease can be fatal, um, uh, uh, doctors prefer to uh, go the safer route of, uh, of assigning the procedure to patients who might be at risk. So imagine if 50% of the patients who today have to go through this very invasive procedure just don't go through it because uh, uh, thanks to heart flow, um, through a simple CT scan, they know uh, how um, likely they are to have a coronary heart disease. So we look at digital diagnostics. We look at digital health. Um, we have a company called Omada, which uh, helps prevent diabetes. Uh, very effectively, mm -hmm. in fact, works with large employers to uh, help their employee base um, uh, uh, lose weight, uh, get a healthier life, a lifestyle, and avoid taxes. So we have different areas that we're looking at. My specialty, as I mentioned, my, my focus is more on the business side of things, how hospitals can run better or how various mm -hmm. business processes can be automated through technology. Yeah to make uh, doctors um, or other medical staff more uh, kind of more effective. That, that, that's what my personal focus would be when it comes to space. So you invest in both healthcare IT and cybersecurity and your partners invest in more the uh, life sciences angle of it. Correct, exactly. Okay. I actually invest in cybersecurity and, and enterprise applications would be my main yep. focus. Healthcare okay. IT is a new area. Uh, enterprise applications for me are as I mentioned, the vertical SaaS applications. Um, I mean, horizontal, I guess, horizontal SaaS applications as well, but mostly just business process automation uh, mm -hmm. uh, software for, for various, okay. uh, various verticals. Now, what are the trends in your portfolio, Daphina, right now? Um, I know everybody is talking about AI and everybody is talking about blockchain. Can you, um, if you look at the last 18 months of what you've seen, are there nuggets that you could share that are overriding trends? 
So uh, it's a difficult question to answer because it's, again, pretty broad. Uh, it it kind of depends on the, the angle, I guess. First of all, there is a lot of deal flow. Let's start by saying that uh, the seed market has exploded. There are over 200 firms that write seed stage checks, which as a result has produced four or 5,000 companies a yeah. year uh, in, that are seed stage. So the, the sheer amount of deal flow is probably worth uh, discussing within itself, which you know makes it really competitive for seed stage companies in a way because um, the Series A capital is not as available as the seed stage no. capital. Um, so in a way, uh, by by creating uh, so many seed funds, uh, the ecosystem has also made it very competitive for the seed companies um, mm -hmm. to continue to build and and, uh, and and compete for Series A. Another trend uh, probably worth noting to that point is that uh, seed companies today that I see in, in kind of in my deal flow, you know, these are companies post seed and and pre Series A are getting more and more traction early on, and that is a reflection of the larger size rounds yeah. mm -hmm. that we're seeing. So if a company raises, you know, 500K seed versus a $3 million seed, of course, they'll, they'll have a different uh, uh, business development. Um, the, the status of the business will be very different. And because more and more companies are raising slightly larger seed rounds, we see a lot more traction. A traditional Series A company today would demonstrate anywhere between a million to two, sometimes even three million uh, run rate uh, if it's a SaaS business. Mm -hmm. I think that's another very interesting trend. Um, what I like also seeing is uh, how all these sleepy industries are getting uh, uh, really attention uh, and uh, entrepreneurs are building kind of cheap software to, um, uh, to, to address business problems there. You know, logistics is getting uh, a lot of attention. Real estate is getting a lot of attention. These are massive industries that for a long time hadn't changed. Um, I invested in a company in the construction space. You know, if you think about construction, it's one of the most conservative industries in a way because mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the construction workers uh, are not uh, necessarily tech savvy or uh, early adopters. So um, it's nice to see that now software is so broadly uh, used, technology in general is so broadly used and adopted that even um, uh, industries like railroads or construction uh, uh, travel can get uh, uh, can get uh, uh, attention and get uh, disrupted uh, by yeah. uh, technology. I even I saw a company that was building backend uh, process uh, backend office support for moving companies. I mean, think about that. Like how how um, uh, sleepy is that? Is that kind of industry? You know, <laughs> uh, where uh, guys that own a lot of trucks move. Uh, uh, so, you know, my observation about that trend also is some of these are great niche businesses. They're not necessarily venture-scale yes. businesses. They don't have the TAM no. to be a venture-scale business or the growth rate to be a venture-scale business, but they would be yes. wonderful bootstrap businesses. That's right, exactly. Or, or get the, uh, funding from someone else, right? I think it's always very important to think about who the right business partner and financing partner is, given the kind yes. of business that you want to build. Uh, many, many, as you said, many founders just grow them organically. Some just get money from angel investors, friends and family. Um, or customers. I always think that that's the best way to fund a business is uh, get non-diverse capital from your customer by pre-selling the solution before you completely deal with it. This is totally our philosophy. Totally our philosophy. We have a company in the portfolio right now, actually, a healthcare IT company on the business process side. That is probably going to do somewhere between 4.75 or to 5 million with no outside financing. 
oh my god that's amazing can i talk to them in these cases you you get companies that have some element of consulting or at least started that way yes exactly uh, exactly the, exactly the service component to it that uh, leads to that amount of uh, um, uh, we in fact have a we have a methodology um that we use in in the program called bootstrapping using services so you do consulting and start getting close to the customers uh, start developing the product use that as your seed capital build the product and then gradually switch the business to primarily a software business yep exactly yes, there you go well. i think that's another perfectly fine way to start a company and exactly. usually uh, a non-dilutive way which yeah. works very well for the founders i mean the challenge there sometimes is switching cultures from consulting and service oriented business to more of a um to a productized product company can be challenging but you know everything has its own pluses and minuses so good for that well if you start if you start with the intent of doing that then you start with that you know like we're going to take a few projects that are going to fund be our seed capital and then we are building towards a product company that I think that's is right. that stating that intent right up front actually uh, addresses some of those issues. Now, um, my last question is that um, you have talked about Checkpoint right at the beginning. Now, Checkpoint is a relatively older investment of USVP. How about yeah. your investments? What are you really proud of? What are the highlights of your portfolio? And, and yeah. why? What is it about those companies that make you particularly proud and, and uh happy about them. Sure. You know, it's funny. Uh, I like all my investments. Even the ones that didn't work out, I like. All your <laughs> children are equally good. <laughs> worth investing in, I guess, at the time. But um, uh, maybe one uh, that I should mention that's kind of top of mind today in particular is a security company called uh, Privacy. Uh, um, a lot of unusual things about that company. I invested in them three years ago. It's an LA-based company. Speaking of geography, you know, you don't see many mm-hmm. security companies out of LA. So that was a maybe a warning sign for some of my partners at the time. It's like, hey, why are we investing in a security company in LA? We we make those investments in Israel or in in New York or in uh, San Francisco, but not in in LA. That's not the place you think about uh, when you talk about cybersecurity. But I found the company very compelling. It was building real-time application security. And um, uh, we invested three years ago, and it was a wild ride in, in some ways. You know, the market was early, so we had to wait it out. We had to wait for it to develop. The founders had to deal with a really unpleasant founder lawsuit, uh, which uh, nearly uh, cost us our lives, because uh, the company's life. Uh, because uh, uh, it was uh, um, it was very expensive and it took a long time and it impacted in, impacted us all, and um, uh, the the guys just persevered. Uh, they kept finding the right early adopters. Uh, they were very clear on the value proposition, and the technology was really uh, incredible. The customers who were on the service were very uh, excited. Uh, and, and happy, and get this, they were all prepaying three years up front, and these were large, large contracts. Wow. So um, what happened was uh, uh, the company just announced three days ago that it's getting acquired. Uh, it is uh, getting acquired by uh, Imperva, which is a, a public company out here, and we used to be the Series A investor in Imperva. We were the the first institutional investor there. We are no longer affiliated with Imperva. We uh, long ago 
stop uh, being on the board and, uh, um, and uh, the initial team that we backed is not at the company anymore. But that was a company in our portfolio three months ago. And so Imperva decided, announced on Thursday that uh, it is uh, buying Privacy. Uh, it's and uh, it, it would be a great success story for the company. So yeah, so I'm really happy with that one. I'm very proud of the guys for how they managed themselves in the business over the last three years. And perhaps another company that's worth mentioning that I'm very proud of, and which was my second investment as, an, as a venture capitalist, is Cloudflare. I was the I led the, the seed round in Cloudflare. It was a million and a half round. I was at Venrock at the time. We led the entire we took the entire round. We led it as a Almost traditional uh, seed round, a traditional early early stage Series A round, and the company now is um, over two billion in market cap and doing well over 150 million in in sales, uh, mm-hmm. and that was just less than eight years ago. So that is probably one of the most successful companies that I have been involved with, and I'm incredibly proud of the team, which uh, took it from literally zero to being probably the largest. CDN company, one of the largest CDN companies in the world today. And that was a founder from Park City, Utah. Yeah, Utah is actually producing a lot of entrepreneurs. We are seeing a lot of Utah companies and some very good ones. Pluralsight has been an excellent success story. Qualtrics has been an excellent success story. Of course, it all started with Omniture, but Utah has become quite a hub now. And and they do bootstrapping very well. I love Utah. I love going to Utah. I love I love the entrepreneur community there. It's uh it is very um it's yeah, I think it's a it's a vibrant place and uh, a lot of great talent there. So I enjoy mm-hmm. spending time there and learning from the, the guys, uh, uh the entrepreneurs in Salt Lake and, and the surrounding area. Tafina, I have uh, one last question before I let you go about women and uh, entrepreneurship. What uh, what is your perspective? I mean, there's a lot. There's been a lot of discussion on this topic. There's a lot of different points of view. How do you synthesize what is going on yeah. and what is your perspective? Is there yeah. bias? Is there? Yeah. Well, look, I'm really glad to see so many positive changes. Uh, women entrepreneurs are getting more funding. They're getting more attention. Women investors are also getting uh, uh, more attention and. Uh, uh, more airtime, which I think is great. Uh, we've made a lot of progress over the last few years. Um, when I went to college, I, I was one of maybe a handful of women that studied computer science and applied math. And um, uh, when I uh, went to Microsoft, I was, I think, the only woman on a team of 50. It's nice to see things changing and more women being part of the part of the the, the, the entrepreneurial community, but also part of the uh, uh, venture community. And I think we just need, just like in anything else, we need more successes that can motivate more women uh, uh, to to join. And also uh, more successes uh, tend to uh, uh, place the focus, the attention on all the women in, in those areas. So I, you know, we're going through interesting times, and uh, I'm excited for the changes ahead of us and the changes that are already getting implemented that are helping everybody get. I think that everybody gets to benefit from more women in venture or more women in technology and more uh, uh, female entrepreneurs. Um, that the diversity uh, of thought uh, that that brings uh, is beneficial to everyone involved. Yes. I think the – you know, what um... – I don't know what years you were in uh, computer science programs in the U.S. Uh, higher education system. I was 
at MIT in the 1993 to uh, 95 timeframe. Um, in the master's program, I was actually in the, a PhD student, but I started a company and I left. But at that time, we had obviously very few women, and, and there were yeah. uh, that number has improved. And at MIT, at least, the, the women in computer science numbers improved greatly. And I think in general, yeah. women in computer science has improved. And I think that is really the core issue. Unless there are yeah. women trained in technology and who have gone through the real technology programs, you can't really expect them to go start technology companies. That's not going to happen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think, uh, no, that's right. I, I was uh, at Harvard um, between 98 and 2002, and it wasn't a lot, it wasn't significantly better. I mean, there were probably more women than at the time when you were at MIT, but uh, it wasn't significantly better. I think uh, I, I think the numbers are looking much better these days. Much better, yeah. Much and, better. and I personally uh, mentor and coach a lot of women um, at various stages in their careers. Some are, you know, in college. Some are starting companies um, uh, or uh, thinking about the, uh, joining the investment community. And it's really nice to see. I think uh, uh, it starts with them being interested in it, fighting for it, and then. And then the community being accepting, uh, which I think uh, is changing a lot, and that's what gives me so much hope that things will be better, even better in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, on that very positive, optimistic note, um, <laughs> thank you, you very much for sharing your thoughts, and uh, and I do hope we're going to start working together on some actual deals and uh, and do some, do. some companies Thank together. you so much for having me. Thank you to your audience and uh, uh, good luck uh, with uh, uh, good luck with everything. Thank you for having me over. I really appreciate it.